This sermon tonight may be of interest to you if right now you are feeling tempted. And you may even realize within yourself, I could end up doing something that even I, in my, at least in my better moments, know is stupid. And maybe history has even taught you that afterward you'll regret it and feel ashamed. So if you're feeling tempted, this message may be of interest to you. But tonight's sermon may also be of interest to you if you're feeling kind of lonely, isolated, I guess we've all had some of that during COVID, uh, or just kind of standing on the outside, wondering who accepts you and where you are welcomed. Well, uh, you may be thinking, um, Father Kevin, those are two, two different topics. Are you sure you want to try to take on both in one sermon? Well, hey, I got time if you've got time. Um, <laughs> but seriously, I don't think I'm taking on too much because both of these situations go back to this one question. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? The Bible teaches very clearly that you and I who follow Jesus Christ now have the Holy Spirit living inside us. But that's kind of mysterious. And so I want to ask this question. How is our life different on the outside because we have the Holy Spirit living within us on the inside? Are there any outcomes that are changed? Are there any possibilities that are, are opened up for us? I mean, what exact difference does the Holy Spirit make on a daily basis for you and for me? So to answer that, try to answer that, let's look at two different situations and see what is that situation like for someone who has the Holy Spirit living within. Okay, you ready to do that? I'm guessing that one of these situations will resonate with you right now. And um, if so, I hope that you will see more clearly how the Holy Spirit can help you in that situation. And my prayer tonight is that you'll gain hope, you'll gain strength, you'll be inspired by the, the timeless treasures of the Holy Spirit's presence and power within. All right, let's look at situation one, which is you are, and I are tempted by self-defeating desires. Maybe you've just been overcome by those. Well, uh, to be alive, to be, have any kind of moral awareness at all, is to ask forehead slap. There's a reason why the forehead slap exists. Why do I do stupid stuff? Things that even I know are wrong or are going to come back to bite me. That I'm not going to get away with it forever and it's just going to cause more problems down the road. And yet I do it. Well, one image that helps us understand that is a pedal on a bicycle. So imagine, if you would, a pedal on your bike, only this pedal is the pedal of temptation. So the pedal starts to move when you or I are under stress. And when we're under stress, maybe the bills are piling up. Maybe, maybe somebody just dissed you and it stings. Maybe we have too much work, whatever it may be. But as the stress picks up, what happens often is that the pedal moves forward to fantasy. Namely, we start to imagine something 
and and say to ourselves, man, wouldn't it feel so good? I mean, how much less stress would I feel if only I could blank and and, and everybody fills in the blank at different times in different ways. Maybe it's pour myself a drink or text that person a piece of my mind or visit that site or eat the whole carton, whatever it may be. And if the fantasy takes hold and picks up some speed, then we pedal forward to indulgence. We do that thing that we've been thinking about. And then the pedal moves forward a little bit to relief. The problem is the relief doesn't last very long because the pedal quickly keeps moving around to guilt and shame. We realize, ah, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know what I was thinking. And we know we, we don't want anyone to figure out what we just did. We feel ashamed about it. And so we cover it up or we rationalize it or whatever. And, and we start to tell ourselves ridiculous things like, really, everybody does it. It's understandable and it's no big deal anyway. And that never quite, quite works. Not if we have a conscience. And so it just adds stress. And so the pedal starts moving around again, only this time a little faster than it did before. And after a while, the pedal can get moving so quickly in our lives that there's almost no gap anymore between stress and indulgence. The, even the thought of the stress might move us there. One of the greatest Christians of all time, Paul, put it this way in the Bible. He said, I am a slave to sin. It's like the pedal just keeps going even when my feet don't even seem to be on it anymore. He goes, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, thankfully, after asking that profound question, Paul says God has given us the answer, and it's in our reading from Romans tonight. If you'd look at Romans chapter 8, and we'll start at verse 11, Paul says, here's, here's the answer, is that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, meaning the spirit of God, is living in you, well, then the situation changes dramatically because he who raised Christ from the dead, exerting that amazing power, will also give life to our mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Well, yeah, this means he'll resurrect us when we die, believing in him. It does mean that there will be an infusion of God's life-giving power, but it's also life-giving power starting now for the daily decisions that we're making and the daily temptations you and I are facing. And it's like for the first time, the bike that we're riding on has a brake. And Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, because God has put his life-giving spirit within us, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. The flesh meaning our self-defeating and destructive habits, attitudes, words, and desires. It's all the self-centered orientation within us. But we don't have to live that way. For if you live according to the flesh, he says, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you say no to them, you'll live. Now, I think we can read a verse like that and, and kind of pass over what it's really saying. Before you and I had the Holy Spirit living within us, if we were tempted, we were going to fail over and over. Research psychologists have done a lot of work in recent years, and they tell us that our self-control is much weaker, much thinner than we think it is. We have a very teeny reservoir of self-control. 
And, and that's just true of what it means to be a human. So without the Holy Spirit, there's really not much of an option for us other than chronic and continual temptation failure. But now with the Holy Spirit living inside us for the first time, it's like we have a brake on the bike. We have a way to slow down. We have a way that we can stop and not keep riding headlong into the indulgence and then the guilt and the shame. Now notice Paul says this power is by the Spirit. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death, but there's also things that you and I do. So he says, if by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit's empowering you to do it, you put to death the deeds of the misdeeds of the body. In other words, the Spirit gives us the break and it's our feet that push it. So here's what it may look like for you or for me as we start to lean into the Holy Spirit's life-giving power in these areas where we are tempted. Well, by the Holy Spirit's power, we gain the courage to come clean. We admit we're powerless over this thing. We admit it's got us, not we got it. We stop telling ourselves this absurd <laughs> illusion that we're still in control. We admit we need help. We get an accountability partner or a sponsor or a therapist. We go to the therapist and we stay going. Now this is huge. Friends, over the years of, of serving and working as a pastor, I, I've worked with a lot of people who want to change something in their lives, uh, some controlling habit. And here's my working observation so far in those decades. The people who are gutsy enough to say, I need help, who are strong enough to be weak and admit, I don't have this thing under control and go and get an accountability partner or a group or a program, those people get better. And the people, and there are a number who take this strategy, who think, I got this, I can do this on my own. It would be totally embarrassing to admit this to anybody else. I'll just work on this on my own. I'm sure I'll be fine. Can I just tell you, they almost never do. <laughs> So do you need that inner power of the Holy Spirit within you to give you the courage to tell the truth to another human being and ask for help? Now, I've also noticed this. As you and I start to lean into the Holy Spirit's life-giving power, his wisdom, his presence within us will start to teach us and will lead us to reduce our exposure to whatever it is that's tripping us up. And we figure it out. You know what? Why is it I gave in right then? Well, it's because I was angry and I hadn't addressed the anger or whatever it is. And we start to see the antecedents and we start to change our situation so that it becomes harder for us to encounter what that temptation is. That's by the Holy Spirit's wisdom and inner teaching. A Christian friend of mine figured out, he, he, he traveled for work and he figured out my kryptonite is the TV in the hotel rooms where I stay. So here's what he'd do. He would go into the next hotel room where he was going to stay for the night and do his calls to businesses in the area. And before he'd even unpack his suitcase, he'd take a blanket or bedspread off one of the beds. He would throw it over the entire TV like a huge drape or tarp so nothing could be seen or accessed on the TV. And then he would pull a small wooden crucifix out of his briefcase and set it up right there on the blanket in front of the TV. Now get through that. 
See, when I hear somebody doing things like that, when I see things like that, I know the Spirit of God is living within them and they're leaning into the Spirit's power. Now, right now in your life, are you feeling sorely tempted? Oh, Paul says, you have the living power of the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead inside you. And by that Spirit's power, you can put to death the misdeeds of the body. Yes, it's over time. Yes, you're not going to be perfect right away <laughs> or ever till you get to heaven. That's okay. But what an amazing possibility opens up for us as we live in the Spirit's power. All right, take a breath. That was situation one, temptation. Let's go to situation two, which is when you and I are feeling lonely, kind of isolated or rejected. We don't know where we belong. We're not sure we do. Well, this feeling runs very deep. As one Christian psychologist says, we all come into the world helpless, dependent, needing acceptance, to be treated as worthy and to be blessed. And very early on, sadly, many of us experience and discover that we don't get that. <laughs> we don't receive that maybe from dad or, or from mom. And when we don't, we can carry this, this kind of profound and painful inner absence. What's often called, because maybe it's more frequently uh, sourced to dad, I don't know, it's called the father wound. And it shows up in us, and I quote here now, low self-esteem, a deep emotional pain inside, and a performance orientation that makes us doers rather than beings. We're just thinking someday, somebody's going to notice all these amazing things we're doing and finally give us the gold star we've been waiting for and tell us we're blessed and loved and we just keep chugging hoping and looking for that and it just therefore makes it all the harder when maybe a friend drifts away or a person we love snubs us but when the holy spirit of god comes and dwells within you and me a whole new possibility emerges would you look with me at Romans 8 and verse 14? I love what Paul says here. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, that's you and me and anyone who follows Jesus Christ in faith, we are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, let me just pause here and, and briefly explain that the word sonship here is not excluding women. Actually, it's elevating women. In his world, in the Roman Empire, the son had a higher legal status and much greater inheritance rights. And so Paul wants us to know that in Christ, whether you're male or female, you are given the highest possible standing with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence within you. And so Paul continues, by this living spirit within that, that tells us we're adopted and we're welcomed, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, if you look back over those verses, Notice all the family language. Paul says, we are the children of God. He says, we're God's children. He says, we are children. He says, we've been adopted. 
He says we're now heirs. We are named in God's will. Now, I don't think we can fully appreciate just how dramatic this is that Paul would use this analogy for you and for me. In the Roman Empire, the head of the family was called the paterfamilias. And the paterfamilias, usually the oldest male, had absolute rule over his household and children. And in fact, here's how much power the paterfamilias had. He could decide whether to keep his own newborn baby. When his wife gave birth to their child, the midwife would take that newborn baby and place it on the ground. And the paterfamilias would look down at that baby, size it up, and only if the paterfamilias decided to pick it up would the baby then be accepted into the family. And God forbid, if that decision went the other way, maybe because the baby had a disability or something, the baby was deliberately abandoned outside in a place where it was likely to be picked up and taken as a slave. Now the coldness and brutality of that are painful to take in. But Paul says to us, when you and I were vulnerable, when we were lying on the ground, God, in his love and mercy, looked down on us and he smiled and he bent over and he picked us up and he held us close and he called us his child and he said, you're in my will. You'll receive everything I have. It all belongs to you. And now his own nature by his spirit lives within us and it reminds us, oh, we're God's children. We're loved. Paul says, by the Spirit, we can call to God and say, Abba. Abba, as probably most of you know, is an Aramaic word. It means daddy or papa. And we are given such acceptance and intimacy with God that we are allowed to call God dad. <laughs> this is huge. This is a change, a very significant change. In the Old Testament, God is called Father a couple of times, but it's in more the sense of distant and creator uh, in, in that sense. So here, God is intimate and personal, and we are drawn close. And now you and I get to use the same word that Jesus used in his prayers. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, how does this all go together when we're feeling lonely? Well, let's say you've been rejected by a spouse. You, maybe it was a person you dated who, who broke it off. Maybe a recently good friend has pulled away, distanced, and it's been very painful to you. Maybe you've been overlooked by a parent or a sibling or a sister-in-law, maybe even passed over by your boss. Well, these kinds of rejections and betrayals are some of the most painful things that we experience in life. But if we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, they are not the final word. The final word is the simple word, the toddler word, the one the Holy Spirit living within us teaches us to say, Abba, God, you are my father. You'll always be my father. You look on me with love. 
You bent down and picked me up. You chose me as your own and you will never leave me. As the Bible puts it so magnificently, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So whenever we're feeling that sting of isolation and rejection and the longing, we have a place we can always return and know it's there for us. There is a God who loves us, calls us his own, and we are allowed by the Spirit of God to call him Abba. We have a place to go. I read about a 16-year-old girl named Cheyenne who was homeless, living on the streets in Ontario. And so she got connected with the Child Welfare Agency, and she said, well, yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to go to a foster home. Can you find me a foster home? And they said, well, I, we got to be honest with you, Cheyenne, it's really not likely. Every year, over a thousand kids here in the province age out of foster care without ever finding, uh, you know, a place to go to, a family. Well, Cheyenne did have a volunteer mentor that she knew a little bit, a woman named uh, Shannon who kept in touch. And Shannon came to Cheyenne's high school graduation, and she also came to Shannon's first powwow as uh, a member of the Ojibwe tribe. And, uh, and one day, Shannon decided to apply to become a first-time foster parent. And as part of the process, they asked her, well, do you have any children of your own? And Shannon thought and was like, well, maybe I do. Maybe I should foster Shannon. Well, Shannon is now 20 years old. And so, or Cheyenne is, excuse me. So Shannon asked Cheyenne to go on a car ride with her because she wanted to ask Cheyenne, will you come and be in my family? Will you let me be your mom and stay with me? And Shannon said, I didn't want to put any pressure on her. But in the end, I sort of freaked her out because we were driving and I just kept on driving further and further because I couldn't spit it out. It's like I was proposing only for parenthood. And listen to what Cheyenne said. For me, she said it was yes right off the bat. Someone has faith in me to do the right thing and will also still be there even if I don't. It's not like I'm doing anything out of fear of losing her. How amazing is it, friends, that you and I have this profound foundational truth and presence and relationship in our life that no matter what anybody else does, says, rejects or abandons, God is our Father, loves us, accepts us, and calls us his own. And we can cry out to him by the Spirit of God, Abba, Father. All right, let's wrap this up tonight. The Holy Spirit, does he make a difference in life? Well, he's the Spirit who gives us the power to say no to those things and practices that will diminish us. And sadly, they even could destroy us. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption who gives us this assurance and reassurance that we can come to God anytime and say, Abba, Father. Now, most people without the Spirit of God go through life the complete opposite way of that. Think about this. They, what they do is they end up saying yes over and over to their self-defeating attitudes, words, urges. Their relationships break down and, and, and they don't know how to, how to stop it. 
and they go through life thinking that God is far away, not that interested in them, except maybe to catch them doing something wrong. So they don't say much to God because they think, hey, you know, life is tough and I'm on my own here. Well, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and mine, he flips all of that upside down so that instead of us having to say yes all the time to our self-defeating urges and practices, the Holy Spirit teaches us to say no to the habits that will take us down and to give us a hope and a way forward. And the Holy Spirit teaches us we're not on our own in a cold and senseless universe. There is a God whom we can name Father. We have a dad who knows us, who knows our name, who knows our story, knows our struggles, and he chooses out of love to reach down and pick us up and call us his own. Right now, where are you most in need of that power of the life-giving Holy Spirit within you? Are you tempted and needing his power? Are you isolated and feeling rejected or abandoned and you're needing his reassurance and power? Maybe you have some other situation that's beyond you and you need the Holy Spirit's living power within. Then I'm, I'm going to say a prayer along those lines and I invite you to join with me in your heart. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, for living inside me, for being my constant companion. Keep me from grieving you. When I'm tempted, give me your power. Teach me how to say no to these self-defeating drives and ingrained habits, the self-centeredness that seems like the default setting for my life. Teach me to follow your leading, to say yes to your holy whispers and receive your grace to ask for help. And when I'm lonely or rejected, remind my dejected spirit that I have a forever father, that you, God, are now my papa, and you look on me with love, and you're so glad to have made me a part of your family, and nothing can separate me from your affection for me. Amen.